Welcome, I'm Gina Ray Foster. I direct the Teaching and Learning Center here at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And today I'm delighted to introduce the third episode of our Spotlight podcast series, Drama, Trauma, and Mayhem, Engaging Students and Faculty with Capacity and Time. Today we have three faculty members from our Percy Ellis Sutton Seek Department, Assistant Professor Erica King-Toller, Associate Professor Shevaletta Chevy Alford, and Assistant Professor Wendy Johnny. They'll be talking with us today about their work with students, particularly around trauma that happens outside the classroom and the drama that occurs inside the classroom and how those may be connected. To begin our discussion, I'd like us to do some quick self-introductions and share a little about who we are and why we're teaching college students in particular. Who'd like to start? I'll start. Thanks, Gina, for this great welcome. My name is Erica King-Toller, and I love to teach college students because I had such a great undergraduate experience at Hampton University in Virginia. And I love my faculty and the, all of the staff that used to work there, and they had so much energy and so much enthusiasm. And I hope that I'm doing that for my students, serving as a role model and um, just being there with them. Okay. I learn a lot. Great. Thank you. Yes, um, I'm Wendy Johnny, and my first introduction to teaching became as a graduating student at City College. And... At that point, I realized that teaching college students, while I myself am a student, was one way for me to learn more about my discipline and to help students, adult learners, and to see, to understand that adult learners know the relevance and the importance of high learning. And my passion grew from there, teaching psychology, and it just translated to other the courses. Wonderful, thank you. I'm Chevy Alford and the thing that really motivated me to teach the undergraduates or graduate students actually is the fact that they're on the cutting edge. The little people, elementary, junior high, high school students, they're interesting but they are gathering knowledge. When you're working with college students, they are beginning to think. And you can introduce them to information, and as a consequence of the information that you provide for them, it allows us to change the world, move it forward. So for me, the ability to work with college students is probably the greatest gift that anyone can have. Also, they keep you young. Amen to that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing why you're doing this, what motivates you. As you know, there are multiple pedagogies and methodologies and frameworks that people use in approaching teaching. For the work you do, what particular frameworks inform how you teach? 
for me, particularly, I use an approach where students has to be actively engaging in the class. So that call for individual participation, group participation, student asking questions, seeking answer, coming to class, prepare. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what I use, that students have to be actively engaged and not passive learners. I would say constructivism and inquiry-based learning within that. That sounds like a good match. Yeah. For me, I use an Eastern approach. I work from the perspective of value creation. So the objective is to take every situation and make value out of it. It's soka gakai, mm -hmm. uh, value teaching. Uh, create value creation activities. So the problem with that is you are trying to make young people think in a completely different mindset because it's Eastern. Mm -hmm. And so they have got to change the way they're looking at the world. And you've got to do it very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's the method I use. That's fascinating. And it sounds very challenging. Yes, to say the least. Okay. Thank you. I use a relational approach. I like my students to know each other, but I also like them to know me. And some of that comes through working in groups um, and helping them to know that there are people who have similar experiences as they do, but also might differ, and how can we still work together in relation to each other to produce a product, to produce ideas, to share, to have conflicts sometimes, and to resolve those conflicts to really create learning in the classroom. Thank you. Our topic today is about drama in the classroom and how that might be informed by trauma outside the classroom and then how to respond. You come from such different methodologies, frameworks in teaching. I'm curious about what kinds of challenges you see your students coming in with and how your methodology or framework responds to that. Value creation is unique for Westerners because we have to look at the students and logically figure out that the quote-unquote there's something that's not right here or this is outstanding how can I push this beyond what it is when I am in a class I monitor every face that's anthropological training that I've had. And so I'm looking at the faces to see what's the baseline of this student, how does this student normally behave in a class. And then I also see that there's, there's a difference here. And when I recognize that there's a difference, then I can notice that the student is not behaving in a way that he or she should based on the information that's being provided to him. Or her. The other thing about the classroom is that it's a small world. It's a tiny little community that is actually a kingdom. It's my little kingdom. I am the king or the queen or whoever. And because of that, I see how they are responding to this person in quote unquote authority. And it varies according to that student's training outside the classroom. So, essentially, that's how I operate. Thank you. Wendy? 
one other thing, again, back to active engagement. And most of our students, the fact that they are first-year students, they came out of high school and with this way of custom of doing things, of waiting for the last moment to do things. So they have an exam and they will wait and cram. That's something that they do in high school and they try to do the same method about cramming. So one of the things that I try in order to help them minimize that stress of not waiting for the last moment is to have them do start to work on their project at an early time in the semester. So I'll ask for update, weekly update as to where you're in the project or give them guideline as to at this point in the semester, at week three, I needed to submit this part of your presentation, the outline for your presentation. So that also will help minimize the stress. One of the things, again, is that these students, they do not know what to do with all of their time. So because in high school they have class back-to-back -back five days a week. In college now they only have five courses and they have all of this time and that free time is often wasted and then they end up now with all of these pressure and start to feel anxious and anxiety because they now have to be doing something that they should have done over a period of time. So in terms of it going back to active learning, telling, letting them know that they are responsible for their work and the grade that they get at the end of the semester is based on their performance. So that usually helps. And it also helps minimize the stress of telling them not to procrastinate and the, what how detrimental mm -hmm. procrastination can be in terms of the grade they receive at the end of the semester. So building on some of what Wendy has spoken about, mm -hmm. we also look at students, I, I said I teach from a relational perspective, but we also know that students are placed in a context. We all are. Mm -hmm. And we look at four major life experiences that we consider as we're thinking about how they are in the classroom. So we look at the birth, mm -hmm. aging, sickness, and death. Mm -hmm. So those four things, so if we look at birth, we're always talking about new beginnings and how things are starting. Birth could be the literal being born, but as students there each semester, they are born in our mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. We begin with one student, but if they're learning and growing and relating to each other, they're growing. They're aging, we're all moving forward. The professor's also in this as well, because we don't always end where we start as learners and um, teachers. Aging is moving forward, growing up or wearing down. Um, and then there are students who have, you asked about what kinds of things do we face in the classroom. Students who have chronic illnesses, there, there's aging and sickness that's going on there as well. Um, chronic asthma, we might see obesity, diabetes. These are all things that are present in our college population. And then death, endings and or change, both expected and unexpected, um, are also happening as the semester is going on. And those impact um, how we teach and how students learn. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Which fits well within your relational approach to see these challenges that students have and that process. And I think connecting that with the values and with constructivism, it's different perspectives along the same pathway, which might be circular in some cases and might be more linear in others. Yeah. From my perspective, when we are looking at the four stages of life, it's circular. 
we keep revolving around them. We go around and around, and the spiral, for the most part, should be moving upward to a higher plane. So we go from one plane of learning, which is the arrival, the beginning, the birth, as Erica has already mentioned, and then the aging. So we're on that plane, whichever plane it may be, and then we start to understand. I think that the scaffolding that's used by most departments is, is something that takes a student from one level to the next level to the next level, and each instructor is expecting that student to have a certain base knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's the scaffolding that you can, you can see in this perspective. Then the sickness, when Eric was talking about, she was talking about physical sickness health, but sickness can also be when we have not problems in our ability to comprehend and our ability to understand. And there's sickness with regards to when you are teaching and you find that it's not getting across in a way. It's a form of sickness. What can I do to alleviate the suffering that I, as the instructor, am going through and that the student is going through because they're just, quote, unquote, not getting it? I'm going to have to make some changes. And then the ending, the completion, the death, the transition, the concept of death from our perspective, the Western perspective, is usually some kind of a, we approach it from a negative point of view, but it's not, it's a stop, it's an end to this condition. And this condition might be, with regards to the sickness, or this condition might be the level that we're at, whichever of those two, and there are many other ways to look at the end, it allows us to move through, quote unquote, a doorway to the next level. And that level is the one that moves us up the spiral. And so the main objective in a classroom is to move the student on to the next level. And when that's done properly, that is where you, are, you get the ability to create the next level of intellectuals who bring about change in society, who move society forward. Thank you. I think that's very helpful and it deepens our understanding of what we're talking about here between student challenges in preparation, student challenges that are life challenges, and different ways of connecting with those and learning. Laid a very solid ground here and built a foundation and framework to define these terms that are at the core of the work that you're doing, drama, trauma, and mayhem. Would you each take one of those and define it for us, please? Picture this. <laughs> drama is exciting, emotional, unexpected series of events or set of circumstances. How many of your students walk into the class with drama? It accompanies all of us. Um, it could be my dog ate my homework, which I don't know if people are still using. That might be dated. But it could even be, I mean, some of the things that we hear from our students about what happens between the subway and John Jay is often... Um, worthy of a Grammy. Uh, some, I mean, uh, not a Grammy, that's singing. But, um, the Emmy. <laughs> the Emmy. 
Yeah. 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 yeah, but that's what we're talking about when we talk about the drama that can also um, impact academic performance and success. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Trauma. In terms of trauma, trauma is has to do with damage, it has to do with hurt, it has to do with wound, and some of the trauma is directly and some of it is um, um, indirectly. So we have students who may have families who's uh, in different country or different part of the United States where they have tornadoes, earthquake, and all of these natural disasters that are impacting the these students so they come with that that's one of those things so it doesn't have to affect them directly we have students who the parents are going through a divorce we have students who lost a loved one who lost a pet i have students who have whose parents have been deported and students who are not a student and feeling the fact that they might be Deportees, so all of these different forms of trauma usually have an impact on how they function, how they study, and the kind of stress that it, it brings into their life. So those are some of the the most common. The most common is the loss of a loved one and divorce and natural disaster. And in other cases, some of students have anxiety about things that goes on on the campus, mm-hmm. like shooting, because I recall there was a shooting on a campus sometime, I believe, in this last year spring, and two of my student parents did not want them to come to class. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a shooting somewhere around the facility mm-hmm. of John Jay, and her mother did not want her to, one of the students said her mother did not want her to come to school because she was fearful. So all of these kind of things that they have, these students are dealing with. In to the classroom now we use, I use observation too because I am a clinical psychologist. So most often I can detect some of the subtle sign that this student is dealing with something. Right. So I think that you're, you're giving us a lot of great examples, and they connect so strongly with the drama that's going on. In my mind, trauma is related to the wounds that don't heal without outside support versus the things that are kind of normal bruises and scratches that we don't have to give extra help, that we kind of know how to get through that. I don't know if that resonates with you. Yes, but, it does. Right. So when our students are bringing all of these things in and they need extra support, that says something, which leads to mayhem often. <laughs> mayhem. I always think about the commercial that Geico used to have or one of those, mm-hmm. and mayhem is everything that could go wrong will go wrong. The life of the student is so complicated by the many things that occur in society. Then you have the things that occur in their home, which both Wendy and Erica spoke about. The combination of these things is what I consider to be mayhem. And my inability to help that student to move. There are times when you might say to a student, you're looking at what they're doing and you're saying there's something terribly wrong here. Let me put a little note on the paper or let me just tap this individual and tell them, I need to see you. And then when you get them into your office and you have the opportunity to hear what's going on, sometimes the discussion or the, or the explanation even overwhelms me. Mm-hmm. And I have to 
make up my mind that I've got to, as quickly as possible, try to find what I call the light. What in this situation is going to help me to direct that student towards, quote unquote, the light, so that that student can move forward and get out of mayhem? Because mayhem is something that it's unexpected for, I believe it's unexpected, or it could be expected when you have an illness and someone dies. But then, when that is complicated by there's not enough money, or the student now has to go to work and didn't have to work before, or as Wendy was saying, the parent leaves, and so then I have to work because my mother can't afford to take care of the children by herself, and I have to take care of the children, and so I still want to go to school. Having a number of layers, yeah, layers, layers, right. layers, trauma, layers. Trauma, yes, trauma, 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 drama, drama, drama. Exactly. Yeah. let's throw in two more. There are generational differences students bring in and then have with the faculty members, and there are cultural differences. Just to name two of the many large group identity factors, but those are two of the largest. Exactly. How did those, for you, play into the drama, trauma, and mayhem happening in your classes? <laughs> well, we, we were talking about this because some of it comes around language, the difference in the use of how students even communicate. Because as academics, we have a particular way of being and decorum, how we expect our classroom to run, and then we are faced with our students who are coming from another way of being and thinking and knowing. And so we were laughing because there were some things that we said our students will say to us, and, and Chevy helped me remember the word, and that's, oh, stampede. Was it, sta was it stampede? Or? I, I, I'm thinking about dope, and I think of dope, and I'm thinking of drugs, and then that dope is something very wonderful. You know, that's dope. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. So language, the, the way in which we... Or smack. I'm sorry. Yes. Smack, not stampede, not stampede, with smack. So what was... What smack was is positive. But not, but it's a, it's a, it's a peculiar kind of positive because you're giving me smack, you're talking back, and so I guess it could be positive, but sometimes it's negative, and that's the, that's the one thing about the language that the young people use. There are so many different. Well, I guess when we go to Webster's, there's a lot of numbers and all of the different uh, explanations, but they have so many explanations for the language that they use and. Being older, I've heard words used different ways, cool, cool, freeze, frigid, frozen, and they all have something to do with somebody being correct. Yes, conflict in communication is one of the biggest factors because in terms of the techno era, you have students using all of these short, shorter words and abbreviated form that someone from a generation may not quite understand all of these. And so these can also cause conflict because with some students in the classroom, as Dr. King Tola was saying, we expect a formal way of speech and a formal way of writing. And for these students, they are not adapt or do not want to do code switching and they do not know how to navigate that way and to say, well, I'm in a, when I'm in a professional setting as a classroom, this is to 
my the way I'm supposed to communicate first is when I'm hanging out with my friends. So that usually cause conflict. <laughs> in addition, we have in a style style of dressing in terms of how students come to classroom, and even the way they put the student they sit in the classroom could be an issue in terms of the different not only for culture but in terms of generation and this we did talk about some of the things that we feel as instructor personally that I in terms of dressing that I don't think that's appropriate um proper clothing to be wearing to a classroom. So these are some of the things. And what I think one of the biggest things that we talked about was the use of technology in the classroom. Whether you can have your phone or not have your phone, what does it mean? What are you communicating to your professor? How interested? Now, for me, I'm saying you're not interested. If you have your phone up, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I should be enough. But right. I often engage my students using the technology to try and if there are generational differences that are existing, I try to engage them with it. Either we're looking up statistics, look this up, you don't know, you know, find this. We're always on the phones looking to see if we right. can to, to use Absolutely. That and I'm hearing from each of you that communication in various ways is one of the biggest challenges in generational and cultural navigation of the classroom, right? So it's different way, different ways of getting there, but it's all about interpretation and translation and code switching. And it's tough because we're never going to get it right. Not 100%. Never. But also having the tolerance to be able, when I say tolerance, just the, the willingness to even engage in and understand it. Right. Um, rather than to just allow it to go by without saying, hmm, what is that? Yeah, I think that one thing I hear from you and that I continually am trying to get better at is the idea of being okay with the failure of an attempt to bridge gaps because the attempt is what's important, the awareness is what's important, and the failure will teach us something about how to do it better the next time. covered a lot of ground, and I hope this is an introduction to further podcasts and presentations on this topic that where we can go more deeply into the work uh, in the spirit of what we're doing today and our teaching podcasts. Could you give us an example from your own framework and your understanding of this work with Drama, Trauma, and Mayhem? How would you advise another faculty member to do one small thing in their teaching in the fall, in their preparation or in a class that would address drama in the classroom? One small thing is to give students time. Um, In my class, I generally have the students have a day where they just, I walk in, hi, how's everybody? And everybody is there making the face that they always make. And then I say, today we'll do nothing. And it's like, they're just like, they're shocked. (laughs) What do you mean nothing? We're just going to do nothing. We're going to relax. We're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about things that are of interest to us. Anything you want to talk about, what you saw on television, what you didn't see on television, who makes you sick, who makes you happy, whatever, whatever. And I also take them to breakfast, which is um, the college will give you funding, 
you can take a group of students out to breakfast and I want to hear about who's got boyfriends, who has no boyfriends, who, who has girlfriends, who has no girlfriends, and that's a lot of fun. Who's mad with their mother? Does anybody have ways of like dealing with mothers who make you sick or little brothers or little sisters? And it turns out to be the best day ever. And from that point on, it's just a completely different class. Wow. It's just so joyful. Amazing. I never thought of that. Amazing. <laughs> so for my class, what I did as I, soon as I walk in the classroom is that each student have one minute to say what they have to say to the other person next to them or in their group and with their phone to use their phone. They have one minute. After one minute, you have to put away your phone. I also, based on what has gone on in our society, if there has been any kind of crime or any kind of traumatic event that taken place the, day, the last time I saw them, we usually do a breathing session and based on student body language I'll say everyone sit up and we're going to take a moment and we'll do some a, mind, a little mindfulness session where students just breathe and relax and calm all feet on planted on the ground and to get them in that frame mind to for whatever we are going to discuss that day. I really love, and we talked about this getting ready for this, Chevy and I talked about the importance of working in groups to deal, to, to really allow students to address and problem solve their own drama because they really can help each other. Mm-hmm. And it might not be immediate, but what happens in groups is that there's an opportunity for leadership leaders to emerge. There is an opportunity for, again, them to talk about and problem solve, um, to advocate for themselves, to demonstrate a level of competence that they've been working with the materials, and um, sometimes even to promote communication with the faculty. Um, and it might look like this group isn't working, right? <laughs> Which creates more drama. But that we have an opportunity at all points to talk to each other, and they can talk to me as well. And I love, I love groups. I love Thank them. you. Me too. Me too, obviously. Chevy, Wendy, Erica, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your conversation and for sharing this information. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. And I'm looking forward to our next set of interviews. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.